journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. And Shavua Tov to everybody out there. And I'm so excited that you're here to join me on a trip of a lifetime. We, as always, are learning the book of Bereshis, the Parsha of Vayera. And um, we are actually coming up this week on Thursday night. We will be celebrating Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah through the festival of Shavuot. And uh, this idea of sitting and learning Torah through whichever medium, through the radio, through the Internet, picking up a book, sitting at a shear, um, all of these have always been very much part of the fabric of the Jewish people from the time that we received the Torah in the year 2448. We we're actually 3,336 uh, years of, no, 32 years, 3,332 years. I had to do that quick calculation in my head. Um, from the giving of the Torah, but the Torah has always, always been our mainstay and always been the the place that we go back to and return to always to see how we should conduct our lives. And today is no different and every single day is no different. Um, as Jews, we've always clung to the Torah. It has been a tree of life for those who have clung to it. And I thank you for joining me and uh, participating in the study of Torah. So we're going to go to Parshas Vayera, which we are studying right now. It is the book of Genesis. It's chapter 21. And I'm going to uh, discuss quite a controversial discussion. I know that it has been making its way through social media a lot, and I would like to discuss one aspect of it, but I'm going to keep you a little bit in suspense because we'll probably... Um, land up having to discuss it in just a little while. Right now, if you are following inside, if you've got a Chumash, if you have got a Bible with you, you're going to look at chapter 21, and we are going to start on verse 5. We touched a little bit on it last week. I'm going to go back there again and just discuss it a little bit more. We're at the point where Abraham and Sarah, at the age of 100 and at the age of 90, were blessed with an heir, blessed with a child, okay, um, that was going to take on the heritage and the, the, the lineage of the Jewish people. The Abraham says, verse 5, the Abraham ben me'at shana, he was a hundred years old, behivaled lo et Yitzhak beno, when his son Yitzhak was born. The Tomer Sarah, and Sarah said, Tzachok asali elokim, God has given me laughter, he's made me laugh, because all who hear will laugh with me. Now, this is not really the best description, even though I've, I've, I've spoken about it literally, it is not the best description, because it, it, it's not a mocking laugh, it's not a laugh because it's a joke, but it's a laugh, it's a deep sense of happiness, um, that was evoked in Sarah, that uh, almost a, a, a disbelief that, wow, can I, um, can I, uh, actually believe it that this is what has happened to me? And all the people around me, he says, and all the people around me will laugh for me. It was also a sense of absolute joy, absolute disbelief at the incredible miracle that it, that it happened. 
So Sarah goes and says, um, God has given me laughter, meaning God has given me joy. God has given me this incredible pleasure. And all who hear will also laugh with me. I mean, they too will enjoy in this incredible uh, pleasure. But Tober, and she says, Mi milal Avraham he nika banim, Sarah ki yeladata ben diskunav. And she further goes and says, Sarah, who would have suggested to Abraham that Sarah could nurse children? Inconceivable. This woman, remember, either was barren or she was infertile. Who would ever think that not only she would give birth, but that she would be able to nurse? And I've given um, a birth to a son in, in, in his old age. Now, when you look at the word, it says nursing of children, is in the plural. Not in the singular. It should have said, who would have suggested to Abraham that Sarah could nurse a son? A child. So there's something very interesting that, that we, we, uh, we, we learn from it. And that is, is that, um, Sarah actually landed up nursing a lot of children. So let's explain this further. We're told in the Midrash that since Yitzchak was born, and since he was such a precious child, the world actually gained six benefits from his birth. Six good things came into the world because of Yitzchak being born. The first was that if there were any other sterile woman alive at the time, they conceived in Sarah's merit. How do the rabbis work that out? Because if you look back a couple of verses, last week we spoke about it, it says, the Hashem pakad et Sarah. God remembered Sarah. Now the word et is superfluous because it should have just read, the Hashem pakad Sarah. Hashem remembered Sarah. But it says, the Hashem pakad et Sarah. Now it is a standard basic learning in Torah that when you hear the word et, aleph taf, um, it is, there is no translation in English. There is no word because it, it is seemingly superfluous. But when you read it in the Hebrew, you've got to understand that if whatever word um, comes after it, it's saying that it is, it is whatever it is in its fullest. Because et um, is the letter Aleph and Taf. So it basically is, is representative, so to speak, of A to Z. And so you read it, the Hashem Pakad Etzara, Hashem remembered Sarah from A to Z. What does that mean? That not only did he remember Sarah and give her fertility, but at Sarah, anything and everybody that was connected to Sarah and that lived in Sarah's region at the time, they too landed up being considered by God, and they too would give birth. Just as another example of at and we spoke about this long time ago, and you're most welcome to go back in the podcast where we discussed creation. It says, Bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning God created, et hashamayim the et ha'aretz. Here we've got the word et again, but we just translated God created heaven and earth, but et ha'aretz, earth, et hashamayim, heaven, in Hebrew means that he created earth and everything in it, from A to Z. Heaven, Heaven and everything in it from A to Z. So the word et in Hebrew actually has a, it's tremendously loaded. It's telling you that there's more to what you're understanding than the actual sentence. So back to this sentence here. God not only remembered Sarah, 
but he also remembered everybody that was infertile at the time. And this goes even further, and the, the first explanation is that when Yitzhak was born, the miracle was that anybody who was infertile became fertile, but more than that, based on the verse we read now, where it says, Mi milel Avram heinika banim Sarah. Who would have ever believed that Sarah could nurse children? And now we understand why there is the plural children. Because Sarah, so to speak, either was, says the rabbis, spiritually responsible for all the other children that were born to the infertile woman. And therefore, when she says, who would believe that Sarah could go and nurse children? She was talking about the fact that she actually brought into the world children through her merit. That would be to nurse. Others go and say that she became so um, filled with milk that she not only was able to, to feed Yitzchak, but she had a tremendous amount of milk to feed the other children around. And many, many women came to her um, as, as a wet nurse. Now, remember, we're talking biblical days. So when a woman had a problem with feeding her child herself, she couldn't go to a, a pharmacy and land up with a, with a, what's her name, with getting some formula. She would have to go and find a wet nurse. And that is exactly what the verses say, where Sarah said, I've actually fed many children, either spiritually, because I was responsible for their birth, or physically, that uh, she had an abundance of milk, and she became the wet nurse for many of the children around. We're going for a bit of an ad break, and we will pick up very, very shortly. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. So welcome back, and we were talking about the fact that um, God made a miracle and caused uh, Sarah to have it an abundance of milk. The second um, thing that happened from Yitzhak being born is now this was the talk of the town, meaning that God's greatness was publicized, and the world saw that God had the power to overrule the very laws of nature. Um, it obviously, we know it was impossible for a 90-year-old woman to have a child, especially one who had been sterile until now. And so everybody started chit-chatting about it. And then when they saw all the barren, other barren women giving birth, this miracle got publicized more and more and more. There is a third opinion, by the way, about Sarah's milk, that not that she had an abundance of milk and that she gave it to other kids, but that God, in fact, caused the milk of all the local women to dry up and they had no option but to go to Sarah. And that um, that made the, the miracle for God of, of God and what God had done for Sarah that much bigger. I want to digress a little bit over here and just speak about something that is, a, that is I won't say controversial, but something that is maybe uh, accepted in society, something that the Torah speaks about, and just to give you the Torah viewpoint, and that is is that we read in, 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 in the commentaries on all of this that even though Sarah had an abundance of milk and now she was either giving that milk off weaning children or or giving that milk to other people, it must have been quite a quite a quite a scene there. Sarah remained extremely modest, we are told. 
And we are told that she would not bear herself in front of anyone um, in order to help feed their children. And so a small discussion needs to be taken place regarding modesty, because modesty is something that I think is generally sorely lacking in society, and we have lost the ability to understand what it is that needs to be shown in public and that which needs to be kept in private. Put another way, we could go and say that we have lost the boundaries uh, and and the ability to have self-respect. And this is, uh, I think, a a societal illness. Um, It's not about being prude. It's not about being... Um, a nebuch in society. It's about having a sense of self, self pride and having boundaries as to who and what can enter the circles of your life and when. And I think it's something that resonates, um, a tremendous amount if somebody is really honest with themselves and they think about it on a very, very deep level. Cause once one doesn't have self-respect, and one allows oneself to be shown in the public arena with things that ordinarily are meant to be private, not only are you disrespectful for yourself, but you cause a sense of disrespect in the public arena. Now, if we look at society and we, we, we look particularly in the field of media, Millions and billions of dollars are being spent all day, every day, um, paying homage to the body and, 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 uh, I could even go and say, go as far as, and thank God I'm, I'm remote, you can't find me or throw a fat tomato at me if you, if you really disagree. And if you disagree, by the way, please feel free to disagree or to add in your two cents, you can uh, SMS on 34519, and I will pick up your, your SMS from the controllers. Um, but going back, I think that that uh, society has paid a lot of money to degrade the sensibility and the respectfulness that one is supposed to have about oneself and about others. And it's a very, very difficult tide to change because – on one hand, you have got what media is saying to you, like, you know, going on in one ear that in order to be accepted, you need to look like this and you need to present yourself like that and you have to wear this and you have to do that. And in another side, um, there is this thing where this innate human need to be respected, not to be taken for granted, to be given that uh, feeling that understanding from others that you you are you 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 have you have worthiness. Now, when we go and remove that worthiness from us, that respect from ourselves, and we go out into the world and we degrade ourselves, we then cause a vicious cycle of degradation, embarrassment, uh, um, usage bad usage of one on another, and it really makes for a very, very messy situation. And I'm sure all of you listening out there will understand what it is that I'm saying. And here we see from the whole incident with Sarah 
that she was very, very careful that she maintained her modesty at all times. Now, um, this entire idea of modesty is something that um, is very, very closely guarded in Yiddishkeit, in Judaism, and um, it is something that many times on a practical level you will hear complaints or people saying that they can't adhere to the laws of modesty. And now let me explain to you that the laws of modesty, while they present themselves uh, practically in the way that we dress, the laws of modesty go beyond that, the way that we talk, the way that we present ourselves. All of those things are part and parcel of being modest. But modesty really is just the dressing behind something called self-respect. And Sarah, even though she had become quite the the heroine here in the story, quite the probably the if, if there was a U magazine or some you know fancy tabloid paper out there, Sarah would have been on the front page for a long while. Number one, we know that she was the most beautiful woman, and we know from the stories of Ari Melech and Paro that that was the case. We know that now it was completely miraculous that she had had a child. We know that she had a tremendous amount of milk to give over. So she became quite the celebrity. If she'd lived now in the in, in, in this century, certainly she would have made the tabloid news. But she ensured that at all times she um, behaved respectfully and modestly, even at home, um, and did not go and flaunt neither her beauty nor all the abilities that she had um, in a in a manner which would have degraded her. Now I know that 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 among in in amongst society it's now a common uh, practice and an understanding. For example, that if you need to breastfeed, you can breastfeed anywhere. Um, you know, this is something natural. Animals do it, so we can do it, and there's no need to have a shamefulness about it. And from a Jewish point of view, this is completely contrary. It's not about the point that we should be ashamed that we are feeding, but rather that we should have self-respect that that there are certain parts of our bodies that belong in the private realm, that belong in the in the circle of respectability for ourselves, for our self-respect. And it is not for each and any person that is walking on the street to look at, to enjoy, etc., etc. And this is really something that uh, that we understood very, very clearly from Sarah. So modesty actually comes in many, many forms, but part of the, 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 the need to dress modestly is to remind oneself that our bodies are actually temples. They need to be guarded and they need to be used in the right time, in the right place, with the right people. And just going out and flaunting that um, certainly is a degradation not only for yourself, primarily for yourself, but you also cause a tremendous amount of degradation in society. And I, you know, if, if you want to take that further and then we could, we could end this, this discussion is that if you look around at, um, the, the, the gender-based violence that, that, that is happening, in particularly when it comes to rape, I believe that all of those things certainly would be tempered down uh, to a large extent if uh, 
the laws of modesty were observed from from all eras, men and women. Uh, but because it's so brazen and so in front of our face all the time, it just feeds on the the the, the, the urges that God did give us, um, and which uh, we do use, but we use it in the right time, in the right place, with the right people, and that is just actually made society. Uh, become more debased and more decadent and more degraded and with all the repercussions of rape and everything else that is out there. It's a huge, huge lesson and something that we should actually all take to heart. Okay, so we said six things happened with um, Yitzchak. The first was that we had um, Sarah um, giving the blessing that all sterile women would in fact become fertile. The second was that God's greatness was publicized. The third we're going to get into, we're told that many people who were deaf and blind um, in the time of Sarah and Abraham began to hear and see on the day that Yitzhak was born. Yitzhak brought a tremendous spiritual light into the world and there was a tremendous healing um, on the physical level because of, of Yitzhak. The fourth um, wondrous thing that happened is that many, many people began to start believing in God. Why? We understand that Sarah and Abraham lived in a time where most of these people or many of the people around were spiritually sick because they were delving into all sorts of philosophy that um, really dabbled in, in idol worship and the, another healing came, not only for sterility, not only, not only for the deaf and blind, but also for those that were sick spiritually. So they healed in spirit, and they started understanding what Abraham was teaching. They saw his superior qualities, and they were willing to take his advice. So there was a tremendous um, a turn back again to that which is true and real, and Abraham landed up guiding all of those people uh, towards living a life of morality and godliness and spirituality. The fifth um, beautiful thing that happened was we are told that the world became bright, meaning that on the day that Yitzhak was born, that Isaac was born, the world became lighter than it was before. Does that mean physically? It could be. It could also be taken spiritually that uh, more spiritual illuminations came in, um, and people began to understand godliness more. I would say, I dare say, that uh, now in quarantine, I believe there's much more light in this world because quarantine has made everybody stop in their tracks and start thinking about who they are and what they are and changing themselves to live better quality lives, better lives based on, on, on more real things than this crazy treadmill of just, you know, gathering materialism and, and, and going out there in a very aggressive, uh, aggressive way. So take it which way you want. The world became bright, either um, with the sun shining stronger, but I think it means more metaphorically that it actually is in fact that the world became lighter, became more spiritually enlightened um, once Yitzhak was born. Finally, it says that the infants that drank um, from Sarah's milk actually gained a huge benefit 
Um, the milk was so nutritious. Not only did they grow up healthy and strong, but Sarah's milk also, her spiritual qualities flowed through the milk and she was able to put faith into their hearts. And what happened was that all the children that were fed Sarah's milk, in fact, became rulers or high government officials and they became very, very spiritually sensitive. Um, so that was the, the sixth miracle that happened when, um, when Yitzhak was born. This also goes and tells us how important um, it is. We know for sure from medical science the benefits of uh, mother's milk. Breastfed feeding is certainly something that has been re-accepted into society. Uh, the, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you, it, 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 it wasn't as uh, encouraged as it, as it is now, and certainly it must be encouraged from a physical point of view because you can't get a better balanced formula. But you can see that when a mother feeds a child as well, there's a flow of spirituality. There's a flow of intangible stuff um, that the, 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 the child gets connected with and um, also has a huge effect on on uh, on the child. So those were the six things uh, that were brought into the world once uh, Yitzhak was born. We're now going to go for a little bit of a break, and when we get back, we're going to talk about a very big party. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, we're going to talk about a party, and that is the 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 where we're going to look at now at verse 8 of chapter 21, reads as follows. The boy grew up and he was weaned. Abraham threw a great feast on the day that Yitzhak was weaned. Now, we are told actually in truth that Abraham had made three feasts. Um, for Yitzhak, and these three feasts, by the way, as you see while I'm talking, actually have become part of the feasts that we throw today for our children. The first feast, as we know, was a feast that we read in Parshat Lech Lecha, where Abraham circumcised, um, uh, sorry, when Abraham heard that, that, uh, that that he that he was going to have no I apologize sorry 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 the first feast was when he circumcised Yitzchak his Brit Miller he had he had a bris and on the eighth day when he had the bris the rabbis told us that he made a huge feast the second feast is now when he was weaned from his mother's breast most people hold it at the age of three and today we mimic that with uh, the Opsharinus, uh, uh party that we have. I'll get back to it because I want to come and concentrate on this feast. The third feast we told was when Abraham, that Abraham made was in fact on Yitzhak's 13th birthday when he became Bar Mitzvah. Now we know that today when we have a bris, we do hold a feast. We have, uh, uh, we, ma- we make a party. We have a special meal. There's special benching. 
We know that when a child turns three, by that time he is weaned from his mother. We throw another party. We also couple it with the cutting of his hair in many, many communities. And then again, we measure the third time that a child like transverses into another stage of their life at the age of bar mitzvah, where they become um, incumbent on keeping the mitzvot of the Torah, we throw another feast. Let's concentrate, though, on this feast, this second feast that Abraham threw. The Torah says that um, he grew, right, um, and was weaned, and the Torah goes and says, that he threw a great feast, Mishte Gadol. Now, let's understand, you don't have to throw the biggest party of all parties when you have a son, when you have a bris, or at a Nupsherinus, or at a Bar Mitzvah. It is sufficient to have 10 people, have a special benching, and you could, you know, get away with it. You, you have fulfilled your obligation in having a feast. But here we are told, Mishte Gadol, he made a huge feast, which is telling us that there was something extraordinary about the feast, not that it was just a, it was a big feast because Abraham got all the caterers that were around at the time, that there was a five course meal and there was buffets and buffets and long tables of food and drink. I think all of that was there. But the Torah goes and says it wasn't called a great feast because of all the materialistic gastronomical delights that were there, but it was called great, one opinion says, because it was called, it was called great because the Shechina, God's presence, revealed itself at the feast in honor of Abraham. Why? Because God said the year before when he sent the angel, and at the appointed time I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Where he says, I will return, means that I will be present um, at the time that you're celebrating anything to do with your son. And so this feast was great because God was there to go and see uh, you know, everything that had happened to Abraham's son. The rabbis go on and say that there was it was actually a great feast because there were many great greats that came to the to the ceremony, meaning what? He had invited all the most important people that were there. Amongst them was Shem, who was the son of Noah, and his grandson, Ever. And they were the great, 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 nine times. Shem was nine times great-grandfather of, no, it would be ten times of Yitzchak, nine times of Abraham. How do we know? Because there were ten generations from Noah to Abraham. Ever Shem was the son of, Avra, of of Noah, and so he's nine times back great grandfather, and Shem's grandson Ever, so it was seven times back great grandfather. So when you have those type of uh, family members there, then it was Mishte Gadol. It was a great feast because we had those great 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 grandparents coming. We're also told, based on a verse of Joshua that there were 32 kings that ruled at the time, and, that, and each of these kings ruled a city in the land of Canaan, and each king had appointed governors, and the governors had senators, whatever you want to call them. And at this feast, Abraham invited all 32 kings who came with all their 32 governors and all the other innumerable other royalty, okay, because the king had all different... Uh, 
people working under, uh, under him. So um, we know this number 32 because when Joshua comes to capture the land, he has to cap. He knows that there are 32 kings in the land. So Abraham invites all of them um, to this feast, and therefore this feast is called Great, because the who's who and the what's what's of society were all around. Avimelech, the king that we spoke about in the last two uh, uh, podcasts, um, he knew about the greatness of Sarah. He too was present over there, and when he when he arrived at the party, we are told that he actually mingled with all the other kings and told them about the miracles that happened in his palace and actually got them to understand the greatness and the, the brilliance of Avraham. There were some other guests. Terach, the grandfather, the, the father of Avraham, the grandfather uh, of Yitzhak was there, along with his uncle, um, Avraham's brother, Nahor, also came and the rest of the families from Haran came. So this was a great, great feast, not only because we had all the who's who and what's what's of society, the leaders, the kings, the governors, the senators, but we also had the family um, from the great, 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 great grandfathers all the way to the grandfathers and uncles. It was a celebration of incredible, incredible note. We're going to go for a bit of a break, and when we get back, we are unfortunately going to have to wrap up. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, we've got a couple of minutes with each other, and I just want to tell you there was one more guest at this huge, huge party, and it was none other than the giant Og. Og was the king of Bashan, and we know that Og um, was quite a character. He was this giant that actually uh, clung to the ark in the time of Noah, and he actually managed to survive the the flood by hanging on to the outside of the ark. I'm not going to get into all the details. Again, you're most welcome to go back in the podcasts um, when we studied the Pasha of Og. But now, Og really was an interesting character because he was planning to inherit all the wealth himself when Abraham didn't have children. He figured, well, you know, he's watched all the descendants. Abraham has no kids. And even though Yishmael was born to Abraham, he was considered the son of a slave, and therefore he could not be a true heir. Now, because Og was a mighty giant, he assumed, you know what? Let Abraham die, I will take all his possessions by force. And he boasted such. He went around boasting that 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 he was doing. And now he came to this great feast. He sees that Abraham has an heir. And all the other kings apparently taunted him saying, you said Abraham was as sterile as a mule and would never have a son. Now Yitzhak is born. All your dreams have been dashed um, to pieces. To which, the, which he, he replied, I'm not worried. A child born to such old parents will be very weak and will not survive, and I'll kill him with one little finger. But tried as, he, as much as he could to defend himself. The other kings apparently continued to taunt him, and he became angry, and all they had to, all they did was ply him with more and more wine. And obviously, his intentions were never ever fulfilled. Because Yitzhak grew up, grew up strong, grew up healthy, and did in fact become the spiritual heir 
and to a large extent the physical heir of Abraham's possessions. To a large extent, you're going to have to ask, well, who else uh, um, got possessions that you're going to have to come back at the same time um, next week where we will be discussing a very interesting uh, part of the, the narrative of the story of Abraham and Sarah, how they navigate navigate their lives. So in the meantime, I'm going to wish you all a Shavuot Tov. You should have a fantastic week. You should have an Erev good Yomtev, a, a good Yomtev for the festival of Shavuot that is going to be celebrated Thursday night and Friday, Friday night and Saturday. It is a time when we makabel all machut that each and every single one of us take on the yoke of heaven. And the, one of the ways that we do that is by the study of our precious Torah, which we have just done for the last hour together. And I look forward to doing so next week. In the meantime, have a great day, a great week, and a great yontem.